Lord Bloodraw's nerve-wracking auditorium is made possible by Lord Bloodraw's Patreon supporters. Lord Bloodraw keeps the love of vintage horror and science fiction alive with three weekly shows. The Nerve-Wracking Auditorium, Lord Bloodraw's Nerve-Wracking Theater, the long-running syndicated TV series presenting horror and science fiction feature films, and the Patreon-exclusive series, Lord Bloodraw's Cathode Zone, presenting episodes of classic genre TV shows. For more info, and to see the premiere episode of Lord Bloodraw's Cathode Zone, go to patreon.com slash lordbloodraw. Ah, I'm so glad you're here. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Lord Bloodraw. I host horror and science fiction films on my TV series, Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rack and Theater, but here, in this cool, intimate darkness, I'll be presenting tales of horror and the uncanny solely for you, alone. In this auditorium within your mind, you will coalesce the settings and the players from the ether of your imagination. Your terror will be your own creation. This is the sorcery of sound, the subtle magic of old-time radio. Horror. Horror. at the door. You will not need them. This is Lord Bloodraw's nerve-wracking auditorium. People say they want to live in a just world. A world where all injuries are made whole, and wrongdoing is met with swift and proportional disciplinary action. (laughs) People say that until the injuries they cause, however unknowing or deliberate, are addressed. Then the swift and proportional disciplinary action becomes an outrageous miscarriage of justice, no matter how fairly the judgment is made. Here, from The Price of Fear, is a tale of justice served. (laughs) Here is... An eye for an eye. The Price of Fear. Brought to you by Vincent Price. I know there are those amongst you who will consider the old adage, every picture tells a story, as debatable as it is familiar. 
As a lifelong art collector and enthusiast myself, I have often speculated that the story surrounding a picture, the human drama, can prove infinitely more fascinating than any story in paint. Trapped within the confines of a frame, and the tale I'm about to tell you, which I've called An Eye for an Eye, will, I'm sure, convince you of the truth of this. Recently, I went to an important sale of Impressionist paintings. The auction room just off London's fashionable St. James was packed to capacity with art speculators from the four corners of the globe. Lot 23, Auguste Renoir, Anemones, Oil on canvas, 38 inches by 14. An opening bid of 25,000. And five, 30, 35. Bidding at 35 against you, sir. 40, 45, thank you. Now standing at 45. Renoir, Monet, Manet, Degas. Each in their turn glowed briefly down at us from the auctioneer's easel to be knocked down with almost indecent haste and returned backstage for crating and shipping. Lot 97, Camille. The auctioneer's voice was tiring now. The serious business of the day was over. Lot 98, Study of a Girl. Attributed to Pissarro, unsigned, unauthenticated, Oil on canvas, 20 inches by 12, from the estate of the Count Luigi della Santa. Opening bid um, invited, I think, ladies and gentlemen. Study of a girl. And there she was, smiling into the gloom of that near-deserted auction room. My old friend, Luigi della Santa, notorious acquisitor of yachts and palazzos and paintings and celebrities. Now here, this, his last prized acquisition, study of a girl. As I consulted the catalogue and smiled ruefully that even in death, Luigi steadfastly insisted on his beloved title of Count, it seemed ironically appropriate that the pedigree of his beloved painting should now turn out to be as unauthenticated as his own. But how long ago it all seemed. How, how long. Midsummer. I'd just completed a long stint of filming in and around Naples. After the sweltering heat of those studio parks, Luigi's invitation to spend a few days with him on his yacht, anchored off of Sorrento, would have been eagerly accepted in any event, but I remembered as the launch ferried me across the merest smoothness of that beautiful bay that it was the prospect of at last viewing Luigi's recently acquired Pissarro that made the invitation totally irresistible. Well, Vincenzo, you like it? Well? Well, it's... it's beautiful. Quite beautiful. Of course. You see, Contessa, didn't I tell you that my very good and wise friend would come and that he would like it, didn't I? Yes, Luigi, you did. <laughs> and now, Vincenzo, you must tell me how much you like it. $5,000 worth? $10,000? Oh, Luigi, Luigi, she's exquisite. Exquisite? Oh, 
She is perfection. She is the perfection of perfection. She is the perfection of perfection. <laughs> you are spilling your wine, Carol. And yet, would you believe it, when I tell you, my friend, there are still those dilettantes, those ingrates, those whoremongers who have the gall to insult the intelligence by saying that it cannot be the work of the master. Oh, but Luigi, the master did not think fit to sign it. What need for him to sign it when every line makes a signature? I tell you, this is not a painting. It is an experience. She is alive, vibrant. Oh, such passionate enthusiasm, Luigi. I shall begin to suspect I have acquired a rival. Vincenzo, if you will permit. It is not the wine of my country, but then it is not the wine of my choosing. Mm. The Count prefers to import. So instead of buona fortuna, permit me to wish you bon chance. Bon chance. As she proposed the toast, the charms of Luigi's Contessa di Terra made those of the artist's model obvious, commonplace, and it was almost as though the Contessa were reading my thoughts. But I feel sure you will forgive dear Luigi's schoolboy enthusiasm for this new acquisition, Vicento. As a lifelong friend, you will doubtless have witnessed many such enthusiasms. Well, it isn't difficult to forgive. I so wholeheartedly share it. Ha, bravo, my friend. Perhaps. But between you and Luigi, the appreciation has always been different, I think. Oh? How different? Be warned, Vigenzo. It is not wise to encourage her. Because watching you see the painting for the very first time, there was peace. It was not hard to tell that for you, the appreciation was for the talent it contained, for the genius. You understood what had been intended and what had been achieved. And for me? Is it not the same for me? Prego, Luigi. Permit me to finish. You see, Vincenzo, before Luigi permits me the time to make a point, he is so perfectly demonstrating it. It is not what the painting does inside of him that makes him so determined to possess it. It is simply because there are others who might wish to possess it even more than he does. The price is all that is important for him. He asks, how much you think it is worth? Five thousand dollars? Ten? And when you refuse to give him the answer... Am unable to... <laughs> How prettily he sulks. <laughs> oh, it's not his fault, you understand. It does not make me love him less, but everything in this so beautiful life is reduced to the level of price, status, possession. Everything which is bad enough, but every one worse. Oh. Much worse. But possession, life, cannot always be that simple. People, things, cannot always be caught in the net of our understanding. Just as it is not always possible to divorce the manner of our deaths from the manner of our lives. Ah, Tante Dante, much talk makes for much hunger. Ah, <laughs> uh, scuse, Count. Uh, la colazione è servito. Si, Carlos, si. Come, my friends, we are to take luncheon on the deck. Besides, after so much play-acting in the dark, Vicenzo, 
It is now necessary we turn the color to your cheeks. Well, it's nothing <laughs> I'd like better. Also, and most important, Luigi has yet another treat in store for you. Another? See. Si. <laughs> to mark the private viewing of his so beautiful painting, the great Luigi, master chef of all the Italias, has himself created a unique gastronomic masterpiece. Emile, worthy of a gourmet of such international repute as you. Oh, my dear Luigi, such flattery. At this rate, the color will be returned to my cheeks much sooner than you anticipate. <laughs> we shall see, Vincenzo. We shall see. Contessa? We shall see. Our lunch party looked like being a jolly affair, to begin with anyway. The wine and the sun went straight to our heads, and the Contessa's affectionate baiting of Luigi continued good-humoredly as the first course was served. The question of Luigi's title provided her readiest target of attack. As to his true origins, well, there were many who insisted that his father could still be found running a small trattoria in that straggling, impoverished town we now viewed across the bay. <laughs> so why doesn't he admit it? Be proud to admit it. <laughs> you see, it is always so. What he refuses to accept, he laughs away. Is that not so, Vicente? I think I'll just concentrate on this excellent wine. Oh, but you disappoint me. What? You tell me that you too are afraid to burst this ridiculous balloon. Perhaps because Vicenzo has the good sense to realize it is not a balloon. And that it certainly is not ridiculous. It is... It is... What is it? Bambino, what is it? It is an insult. It is a double insult of my lineage and breeding. Oh, 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 oh. oh I'm, I'm sorry, Luigi. Oh, so don't be my friend. It's good to laugh at such archaic distinction. Vincenzo has seen the papers. Is that not true? I, uh, I have seen papers. Papers are for the forging. Oh. So, has Vincenzo seen my papers? Of course he has not. And why has he not? Because he does not need to. He has only to use his eyes to realize that I am of the line, just as you are, of the gutter. Then why <laughs> does the Contessa dishonor her line by sitting at my table? Oh, because even a penniless Contessa has to eat somewhere. And like his cook of a father, and his cook of a grandfather before him, Count Luigi still makes the best fish soup in the whole of Italy. True, Caro. True, my father and his father before him made the best soup. <laughs> Caught, Caro. Uh -huh. <laughs> the Contessa's high praise for Luigi's culinary skills were justified, certainly, whether inherited or not. After a lifetime of experience, I've come to the conclusion that there are only really two kinds of master chef. Those who have spent long years perfecting their skills and those who have added to this a simple flair, an ability to transform the simplest meal into something near approaching a work of art. But now, my good friends, your attention, your undivided attention, if you please. It is with the greatest pride and pleasure Luigi himself presents to you his own 
original creation. Oh. Speciality of the house. Vincenzo. Luigi waited. As I peered into the deep serving terrine he set in front of me, I remember thinking that after the great build-up he'd given it, his specialty of the house turned out to be something of an anticlimax. The ingredients were certainly commonplace enough, served on a bed of rice, a veritable hotchpotch of, well, of all the kinds of fish native to the locality, something I'd frequently enjoyed with a bottle of ordinary vino at any harborside trattoria. So, you like it? But now, why don't you look even closer, my friend? He was waiting again. So, simply to oblige him, I did look closer, and then... I saw it. A large octopus sat squarely upon its bed of lobster pieces and king-sized prawns. To my best recollection, I'd never seen one cooked whole before... So perhaps this was the special touch my Italian friend had in mind. And then it happened. The creature's great saucer eyes opened and gazed balefully into mine. My God, it was alive. <laughs> now he sees. So, how do you like my little beauty? I'm not sure. But I have created a new delicacy. A live delicacy? A live, Vincenzo. Between us, we will set a new gastronomic trend, you see. Oh, purists like the Contessa may at first condemn it. A return to marine cannibalism, perhaps, eh? <laughs> but I tell you, Vincenzo, and you will agree for yourself, that in the gastronomic stakes, a live lobster boat screaming to the boil will prove strictly for the peasant. Now, please. Well, taste it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. At first, well, at first I, I just thought it was some kind of a joke. A joke? Well, as a matter of fact, I, I'm still not sure if you... But it... It isn't, is it? No. I'm sorry, Luigi. You object? Well, simply, let's say, decline. But why... I can't explain. Try. For Luigi's sake, why don't you try? Well, even for Luigi's sake... Well, I'm just not sure I can. It, it's something to do with the very aliveness of the thing, of course, but... More than that, it's... It's the eyes. A sort of watchfulness in the eyes. You disappoint me, my friend. You know that? You disappoint me. I'm... I'm sorry. You object. But you cannot even begin to explain why you object. The Luigi, please. The Chenzo is your guest. For which I'm sorry. Because not only does he show a singular lack of adventure, but because he stupidly finds the dish somehow objectionable on humanitarian grounds. True or not true? true. But why? The oysters you love, are they not live? A well-known scientific fact. All sea creatures are impervious to pain. Any ten-year-old angler will tell you, my friend, they have no brain, no mind, 
no nervous system, let alone the so-called uh, finer feelings which you and the Contessa would seem to attribute to them. Apart from which, the pathetic specimen you see before you is itself possessed of those same cannibal instincts which you now accuse me of possessing. I accuse you of nothing, Luigi. Hourly sucking into the disgusting chasm of its stomach a million tiny sea creatures. To first digest, and then spew out the remains which are neither palatable or necessary to its uniquely selfish existence. Except that you have overlooked one thing, Luigi. Huh? We have no way of knowing. In spite of the sworn word of any ten-year-old angler, we have no way of really knowing. Whether the creature we see squirming in front of us is capable of feeling or not. Knowing, my dear Concessa, what is there to know? Everything. Anything. Simply because, perhaps, it chooses to reveal nothing. We shall never know. Not unless it were possible for one of us to take its place. At this very moment. To be... On the receiving end. Permit me to produce the evidence. With a single deft, circular movement of his knife, Luigi removed one of those enormous eyes. The creature attempted vaguely to scale the deep sides of the dish, but at last, realizing there could be no escape, floundered back stonily regarding Luigi with its one remaining eye. The mucus from its socket mingled now with the rich Madeira of the sauce that had replaced its natural element. Luigi regarded it dispassionately, then flicked the eye on the heavy silver of his embossed plate. That evening... Over after-dinner brandies, my squeamishness turned to embarrassment. An apology seemed in order, and I was happy to provide it. But, my dear Vincenzo, there is nothing to be forgiven. <laughs> Unless it is the weather. More brandy. Oh, thank you. I had planned on taking the launch to show you a few of the night spots across the bay, but uh, I'm afraid until the storm decides to blow itself oh, out... Think no more of it. I'm really perfectly happy. Which is a good deal more than can be said for the Contessa, I think. Isn't that so, Caro? Oh, if you say so, Luigi, then I suppose it must be. But you've hardly said a word since lunch. Haven't I? You know you haven't. Oh, then I can only blame the storm. Unless it is that it's late and I'm tired. I really would like to retire for the night. Oh, but of course. So soon, Contessa. The night is young. No, dear Luigi. The night is never young. It is the same age at its birth as at its death. It is we who must inhabit the bright lights of day. We grow old. As old as we are allowed to grow. Good night. Good night, Contessa. A cigar, perhaps. Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry, Luigi. I, I wasn't... Now you're doing it again, my friend. Apologizing for one thing and overreacting for another. 
Am I? Yes, you are overreacting to my contessa. But then you have been all day. Well, then I... Well, I certainly didn't intend to. But found it impossible not to. Well, it is late, Luigi. <laughs> you see, my friend, the effect she has on us is infectious. Oh, please. I, I only meant it's been rather a long day. But if you'd rather... No, no, I, I insist. Whatever our mysterious lady claims to the contrary, tomorrow is another day. We shall welcome it together. Well, good night, Luigi. Uh, by the way, it's macabre of me, I know. But what did happen You want to, to know what happened to our uh, one-eyed sea monster? Yes. <laughs> Thrown overboard with the rest of the garbage? Oh, not out of any finer sense of returning it to its own. I do assure you, its remains will attract the other sea creatures. The cycle of cannibalism perpetuates itself. Besides, it makes for excellent fishing. If you promise to get up before noon, I'll get one of the crew to fix us up with a couple of lines. Good night. I lay in my cabin listening to the storm. It was strange how deeply Luigi's mood of the evening had disturbed me. The extrovert, arrogant Luigi. And then it had been a long day, so sleep now. Gently, gratefully, into sleep. Sleep. Isabella? Isabella Monomore. Is that you? Oh, Isabella, don't tease me. No, please don't, Isabella. Oh, my God. No. No. Ah! It was the steward, Carlos, who found him. But having seen what he had seen, he would not again venture into the cabin. Straddled grotesquely across the bed, in a splatter of torn flesh and blood, was the thing that had been Luigi. There were the marks of giant tentacles about the doll-snapped head. The tongue rolled gigantic from between those swollen purple lips. But overall, there was the unmistakable evidence that the whole head had been somehow inexplicably pulped outwards, as though it had first been sucked in under some enormous unnatural pressure, fed upon, and the remains spewed out again onto the fine linen of those monogrammed pillows. But not all spewed back, not all totally discarded. 
For when I could bring myself to look at the thing again, there was no mistaking the fact. Only one of Luigi's eyes stared back at me. The other socket lay seeping, empty. The Contessa was standing at my side. How do we know they have no feeling? How do we know they are not capable of understanding and of revolt? And if revolt, why not revenge? A revenge to be fearfully enacted by others of their own kind. Larger, stronger, more terrifying than anything we dare imagine. There is no evidence such monsters do exist. But is there any proof that they do not? I looked away from that single cyclops eye and leading from what remained a, a trail of slime much like the slime of some enormous slug I followed its course it climbed the French brocade wallpaper shattered the high chromium finish of the porthole crossed the deep teak polish of the deck beyond and from thence it slimed down the hull. The spume of it still floated out there, oil-like on the calm waters of that beautiful Italian bay. Then it descended eternally into the dark depths that lay beneath. That was Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear with Roger Snowden, Anne Jemison and Christopher Bidmead. An Eye for an Eye was first recounted and dramatised by William Ingram and produced by John Dias. Justice served, the injury made whole, an eye for an eye. 
that the perpetrator did not survive the extraction of the victim's just reward, well, such is justice. You see, Luigi, being human, used a knife to remove the octopus's eye. The octopus, not being human, made do with its mouth, drawing in the perpetrator's head, sucking the eye from its socket, then expelling what was left, taking only its just reward. Would you penalize the octopus for using the tools at its disposal to claim its prize? Well, that hardly seems fair. Thank you for joining me in the Nerve Rackin' Auditorium, and I hope you'll come again. But now it's time for you to rejoin the, uh, real world. I am Lord Bloodraw, and I'll be waiting here for you in the shadows of your mind until the next time you seek the darkness. Good night.